A church is a group of Christians who assemble as an earthly embassy of Christ's heavenly kingdom to proclaim the good news and commands of Christ the King, to affirm one another as his citizens through the ordinances, and to display God's own holiness and love through a unified and diverse people in all the world following the teaching and example of elders. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? It's good. It's good. It's some energy. It's good to be here. Good to be gathered together. Uh, as we uh, kick this time of our service off, I want you to uh, go to Make Believe Land with me for a minute. And I know that maybe is a scary thing to hear when the pastor says that uh, before we open God's Word together. But I want you to pretend with me uh, for a minute that we were all uh, sportscasters at one of the NFL games uh, this afternoon. Uh, they're going to be taking place. And so we're, we're down on the field. Uh, helping provide some play-by-play -play commentary and, and things that are going on. And as the, as the game gets ready to start, we're, we're down there on the sideline and we, we see this interesting thing happen where the, the team closest to us uh, all huddles together uh, and they stand in this big circle. And in the middle of that circle is the coach and he's kind of giving them the, the, the hoorah and they, they're, they're really focused. They're, they're really gearing up uh, for what's about to happen and take place. And uh, finally, they give this great big cheer. Maybe they say team on three or whatever. They, they give this great cheer, and the coach runs out on the field all by himself. And the rest of the players all go and sit on the sideline. And, and here we are with the, the mic in our hands, and, and we go and we stick it in front of the face of a big 350-pound offensive lineman and say, uh, what's going on here? Why why'd the, the coach go out there all by himself? And he's, the, the player says, well, he's going to play today. I go, all by himself? Well, Yeah. Sure, why not? He's got all kinds of experience. He's got way more experience than we have. He's been, he's been through it. He's got way more training than we have. And after all, he gets paid really well. So we're going we're gonna to go ahead and cheer him on. And we're going to stand here on the sideline and root for coach because he's going to go get him. Besides, look at, look at all these people who have come here today to watch him compete. And bewildered, we stand there and with no words to say and we watch as uh, the kickoff goes and the coach collects it on the on the goal line he starts running back with it with all the valor that he's got in him uh, to be absolutely pummeled by 11 uh, defensive tacklers and carted off the field half conscious play continues and the next drive we start to see uh, that the team realizes that they all need to play so the team goes out in the field and they gather in this huddle and they huddle and they huddle, and they huddle some more until the ref blows his whistle and throws a yellow flag and says that's a delay of game and moves them back five yards where they just move their huddle back five yards and they continue to huddle and huddle and huddle some more and so on and so forth until uh, the, they are all the way backed up against their goal line and, and they, the coach yells from the side and says, guys, what are you doing? And the quarterback yells out, he says, Coach, this is the greatest huddle we have ever had. I mean, you should see some of the guys in this huddle. They're brilliant. Some of them have memorized hundreds of plays from the playbook. They're great students of the playbook. They can analyze the plays. They can analyze the other team. And we are having such a good time talking about the game. We've got it down. You should be part of this. And he says, well, are you going to get on the line and play? Maybe we run a play. They said, no, well... We might get hurt if we run a play, but no one ever got hurt in a huddle. What we really need, coach, what we really need are more huddles and bigger huddles, and then we're going to have a great time. Well, finally, the coach convinces them to get out and actually uh, break the huddle, and so what happens is they, they come out of the huddle, and instead of lining up to run a play, we start to see that the players are all fighting with each other. They're, they're bickering and arguing about all this, and, and one of the guys starts coming off the field, and we, we run over to them because everyone wants to know what is going on. So we say, what's happening right now? Now, now what's up? And he says, well, you see, uh, everyone's upset. Those two guys over there, they're fighting over the color of our jerseys. These two guys think that we should run the ball instead of pass the ball. These guys believe in personal football, uh, and the other guy believes in social football, and we can't seem to agree. And by the way, I'm quitting right now because I can throw the ball a whole lot better than that guy, but they won't let me be quarterback. And the whole game just kind of falls apart. Sadly, that's the experience that many people have 
with church. Let's all huddle around the pastor and watch the pastor go do everything because, well, we pay the pastor, so let's hoorah, let's cheer him on and, and send him out in the field. We like to just gather and do class and class and study and study and study. We build these big huddles where we don't really go out and do anything, but we love to have big huddles. And when we do get around to trying to do something, we can't always agree on it, and we start fighting and arguing with each other, and we create some divisions in the church, and for some people, that's the experience they have with church. And it's sad, because that's not the way that God has designed the church to operate. Over the course of this series, uh, Rediscover Church, that we've been working through, we have talked about kind of what the team is, right? What, what, is, what does it mean to be on the team? How do you end up on the team? We've talked about uh, the necessity of the team getting together because if the team doesn't show up, there ain't much of a team to begin with. Uh, last week, we talked about the playbook, if you will, and the importance of the playbook, that it brings us together. It, it provides a standard, and that's why we do this when we gather. We, we open God's Word. It's our authority. It tells us how we operate. It tells us how we are to think, how we are to function together as a team so that we have a cohesiveness to what we're doing. And this morning, what I want to talk about is, is some of that function. How do we work together? How do we function as a team so that we can compete well? How do we win as a team? Now, when you go to a game, we recognize that there's all kinds of people who show up. Right? If you showed up at a, a, a field today, you're going to see that the, the coaches show up. There's players who show up and a whole myriad of fans that show up. And all of them have a different engagement with the game that's being played. For instance, the coaches have put in a lot of time uh, developing a game plan and a strategy that their team can go out and execute. They've coached, they've counseled, they've conditioned their team so they can execute that game plan when they get on the field. And they're there that day to continue to help the team do that. But the coach is on the sideline. The coach isn't putting a helmet on. He's not going out there and getting tackled by 11 guys. The players are showing up and they have put in countless hours of practice and they have worked and study and they have done all kinds of preparation and training so that when they come and they step out on that field together, they know what each other are doing, they know how to communicate with each other, they know how to run the plays, they know what's happening so that they can work together in that. And then you have the thousands of fans who I'm sure they've done some uh, preparation. They've marked their calendars, carved out the time to show up to the game and probably put on their team's tire, and they're, they're there ready to have a great time. But they get to enjoy the game from the stands as spectators. There are a lot of people when it comes to being the church that are content with being fans. It's easier to be a fan. There's less commitment. There's less cost. It's easier to show up. It's easier to come. You've carved out time. You're here. But God calls us to a deeper level of engagement with what it means to be the body of Christ. So this morning, I want to kind of address uh, this question. Does it really matter to join the church? Does it really matter to join the church? And, and what I mean by that, when we talk about joining the church, I'm not talking about just showing up. We're not just talking about being the super fan, right? Everyone's seen the super fan, the guy who's got his face painted on both sides, and he's got the crazy hat, and he's, he's ducked out and ready to go, and he's, he's pumped about it. He's so excited to be there, but he hasn't joined the team. What does it mean to join the team? What does it mean to live as part of the team? And what we call that today is church membership. That's what we're going to be talking about. Is that really a necessary thing? Is that an important thing? And those two questions are somewhat different. Is it necessary? Is it essential? On one hand, yes, and on another hand, no, right? Because we have to be able to honestly say that, no, being a member of a church does not save you. It is not essential when it comes to your salvation. I would pray and hope that on that day when each of us stand before God, that you're not going to give an account for your life and say, well, I was a member at Village Bible Church. Because that's going to mean nothing on that day. 
That is not going to change your right standing before God. That will not save you. There's no confidence in your justification, your salvation, in whether or not you were a member of Village Bible Church. So please, please don't go there. And in that sense, no, it's, it's not an essential. But when, it talk, when we talk about the essentials of how do we go about living out the salvation, we could argue that it absolutely is. It's so important to us. Church membership is such an important thing to be part of. Now, some people will say that the Bible never uses the terminology of being a member in your local church. And say, well, you're absolutely right. The Bible doesn't say be a member of your local church, but the Bible says be a member of your local church. In the same way that the Bible doesn't say the word Trinity, but the Bible speaks of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our God, three in one. It doesn't say it, but it does. So hopefully as we spend our time together this morning, my goal is, in all honesty, to come at this from the, the vantage point and say, yeah, you know what? It is a vital part of our living out the life on the team by being a member of your local church. And what I want to do is talk about why. Why is that important? Why is that an essential part of us living out our faith? So I use the example of team to get us started today because if you've ever been on a team, you know that being part of a team means you make a commitment to the team. You're part of something bigger than yourself. You commit to showing up to practice. You commit to training yourself. You commit to upholding the values of the team. You commit to functioning as a team. You commit to uh, working as a team. You commit to giving your very best for the good of the team. There's a commitment there that you make, but that also the team makes to you. And that's where we come into this. And when we talk about being a member of the church, we make commitments to each other. At Village, uh, we say and believe that God has called his people to live in a covenant relationship with him. We also believe that he's called us to live in a covenant relationship, therefore, with each other. Because about how can we say that we love God and hate his people? So we, we live, that we are now married to this, this people called the church because of our relationship with God, that the two things go hand in hand. So we make covenants, we make commitments with one another. And here at Village, membership is that covenant. Membership is that commitment that we make to each other, that we make before God, and that we make with the church to say, I'm here. I commit to this team. I'm committed to be part of this. I'm committed to, to function as a team and work for the good of this team. So a few different uh, ways we're going to talk about this morning. <laughs> that uh, there's value added to this. Uh, the first one that I'd like to address is that in our membership, we affirm the early church's standard. This takes us back, right? We're taking, we're taking steps back into history. We affirm the early church's standard. What do I mean by that? But what I mean is that it was the given for the early church. It was the unspoken reality that the church was committed to one another. They were engaged deeply in life with one another. Now, we put terms to that. We put guidelines to that because we don't live in that same kind of environment naturally today. But throughout the New Testament, there are countless examples in Paul's writings as well in the book of Acts and other places where the, there is an assumption that the church was together, not just to watch the game, not just to kick it and have a good time together and, and be casual, well, there was a, a commitment to one another. There was a, a, we are here arm in arm doing this together. Acts chapter 2, if you've got your Bibles, verse 42 through 47, we've talked about this as a church before, but it gives us a snapshot into what this community of the early church looked like. We're told in, in verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves, these are the earliest of Christians, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. 
And they were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we look at this and we, we see that the, the early community life of the church was centered around a commitment to the teaching of the apostles. They were committed to breaking bread together. They were committed to worship together. They were committed to each other even in a financial sense where it says they were selling their stuff and contributing to the needs of one another. They were supporting each other. They, they were arm in arm in life in greater ways than, if we're honest, a lot of us are even today. That was just life in the church for them. There, there wasn't a, a command that says, hey, you got to do all this right now. But this is, this is the Bible describing for us what life in the early church looked like. And when we come to uh, the scriptures, we recognize that there are some passages that we say are what we'll call descriptive passages. There are other passages in scripture that we would call prescriptive passages. For example, this is one of those descriptive ones. This is what was happening. It's just accounting for something. This, this is what was taking place. This is what life was like. This is what people were doing. And there are other times when you see the commands where God is prescribing for us, this is how you ought to live. Acts chapter 2 and much of the book of Acts, descriptive. This is just what was happening. But then you start to look at the, the letters that were written to churches in the years to come. And you see some of those same values being prescribed gather together break bread together look out for each other's needs bear one another charges one another's burdens love one another admonish one another encourage one another all of these things that, that begin to be the teaching of this is what life in the church looks like so when we talk about this stuff, and we talk about being a member of the church, it's saying, hey, I'm committed to this body. Your cares, your concerns are mine. Your triumphs, I triumph with you. When you grieve and you mourn and you struggle, I struggle and mourn and grieve with you. We become one. We're a body. And we're committed to one another in that. So our, our practice of membership today is an attempt simply to value and cultivate, in our context, a similar kind of community, a similar kind of culture as we see being lived out in the early church. Secondly, by membership, we acknowledge the church's structure. At the last verse there, in verse 47, it, it tells us that the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. We see that same thing showing up in Acts chapter 5. We see that showing up in Acts chapter 16, that people were being added day by day to their number. What's that number? Well, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, you flip back a page, we are told that in that upper room on the day of Pentecost, there was about 120 individuals. And then on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 41 we see that those who received the word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 people. So what we're seeing is you got 120 and then you've added 3,000. Then, then day by day, God continues to add to their number. So it seems as though there is a definable number of people that belong to the church. There's a, you can define it. You can outline it. You can say these, these people are here. They belong. They're part of us. And that's important for a couple of things. It helps the leadership of the church. The scriptures say that the leaders in the church are to give an account. Your elders, elders, Bill, Bill, and Dan, and myself, we are going to give an account before God one day for how we shepherded the flock that he placed under our care. So who is that flock? Who's the flock? Is it just anybody who lives within a certain radius of the church? For the early church, was it just anybody who lived in Jerusalem on that day? For Timothy and Ephesus, was it just the entire city of Ephesus? Or those who belonged to the church? 
So the definable feature helps make your leaders better, helps make us better. Because who gets to pick those leaders? When, we, when we're looking for an elder, do we just go and put on the community Facebook page, hey, Village Bible Church in Shabana is uh, looking for a new elder. And if anybody's interested, you can apply here. And we just start taking applications from anywhere? Does the whole town get to affirm the, the leaders and the elders of the church? No. So it brings clarity. It brings definition to the structure of the church, that there's leadership. That leadership is accountable for a flock, and that flock is known. We know who that flock is. We know who's engaged. We know who's a part of the body. We know what's going on. So that Ephesians chapter 4, as we studied that before, Paul can say that to the church then was given leaders, apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers for what purpose? But to build up the saints for the work of ministry. So that we as a body would grow into maturity in Christ. Who's here? Membership is the means by which you say, I'm here, I am committed to this church. I submit myself to the leadership of this church willingly, not just under compulsion. We're not out here forced. Nobody is forced to be a member of Village Bible Church. But those who are have said, we're here and we're committed to this place. We submit ourselves to the elders, to the leadership and the discipline of the church for our good, for our good. Number three, membership provides accountability in dealing with sin. Next week, we'll talk about church discipline a little bit more, so I don't want to belabor that idea here, but uh, more the accountability side of it from brother to brother, sister to sister, as we do life together. Now, this morning, as evidenced, I think, by most of us, you all woke up. Some are still in the delayed processes of doing that, uh, but we woke up this morning, and you rolled out of bed, and from the looks of it, we all had a moment where we stood in front of a mirror. And we realized that when we rolled out of bed this morning, we probably didn't look as good as we're looking right now. Your hair was biffed just a little bit, sticking in every which direction. Uh, you, your breath, I mean, probably smelled like it could kill every green thing in a radius of your body. You had those nasty little sleeper things in your eyes, and you, you became a tiger overnight, and you had stripes all over your face uh, from your pillow. And you looked in the mirror, and you're like, man, I am a hot mess this morning. This needs some attention. And I'm looking at all of you right now, and none of you are looking that way. So either you sleep like angels, or you recognize that there were flaws in you when you looked in the mirror this morning and said, that flaw needs to be addressed. I need to do something about that flaw. Well, the membership of the church as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come alongside recognizing that we've all got blind spots because though you looked in the mirror this morning, if you think honestly about it, you never saw your entire person at one time. When you were looking at your face, you could not see the back of your head. When you were looking at maybe how your outfit looked this morning, you couldn't see yourself from behind. You can't see every part of you at all times. Interesting, mind-blowing thing to think about just as a side note. Your own eyes will never look directly on your face at any given time in your life. Think about that. You, you look at a mirror, but the way that I can look and see your face directly and the way you look and see mine, you'll never get to do that with your own face. Just kind of one of those weird thoughts to think about. You know, Sit on that one for a little bit this afternoon. Philosophy of some sort. So when it comes to being the church, spiritually speaking, we recognize those same realities to be true. I've got blind spots. I don't always see every part of who I am. I can't always understand. I can't always find every flaw. There may be things that I'm unaware of. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come up and they pull something off my shirt or, you know, you know just the other day, someone brushed something out of my hair because I had like a piece of grass in there or something. I didn't know it was there. We're not always aware of these things, but it sure is good every now and then when you've got someone around you who cares enough to say, hey, you got something in your teeth. So next time you smile, people are like, just want to help you out. But when it comes to our faith and our walk with the Lord, 
We tend to try to just put a good face on. I just want to look really good. But I know, I know that I need brothers and sisters in Christ who love me and who care enough that they're going to help hold me accountable. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul writes the church in Corinth. He's addressing some sin that's in the church. And in verse 9, he says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Which, if you stop right there, you know, the church sometimes is like, Amen! Stay away from the impure people, of course. But you know what Paul says? Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. Why? Because he says, then you would have to leave the world. He says, instead, what I'm talking about is I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. I remember back in high school when I played for Aurora Christian, what the coaches always say, you got Christian across your jersey. It's not your name. You bear the name of Christ. You bear the name of brother. That means something. That means that we profess to have been made new by the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that we, we confess that we are now living according to the Spirit, not according to the flesh. It means that we've set aside the old self, put on the new. It means that we have been called and appointed to a life of holiness and righteousness so that we live according to a different standard. And, and our accountability as fellow brothers and sisters is not there just to kind of kick each other. It's not there just to look for, for where we're flawed and, and, and discourage each other while we're down and just there because we're looking for trouble and saying, I want to find out everything that's wrong with you so I can point a finger at you. That's not what it's there for. We hold each other accountable because we know that we've been called to such a great and high calling. And we're there to support each other, to care for each other, to say, hey, I know this road is tough. This is what we've been called to. Let me help you in that. Let me come alongside you in that. So Galatians chapter 6, in verse 1, Paul writes to the church in Galatians, says, brothers, if anyone's caught in any transgression, kick him out of the church. Don't talk to him anymore. Judge their entire life by that transgression that they've been caught in. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual hmm, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I'm going to be honest. Sometimes the church needs to just make that a banner that we need to go back to over and over and over again. Because sometimes the church is the worst at that. The church gets all flustered about cancel culture. Well, we're the kings of it. We look at a brother or sister who's down and we're like, forget them. Their whole life defined by one shortcoming, one failing, one flaw, and we write them off as if they've never even known Christ. You ever stumble? I know I have. We're not there to kick each other while we're down. We're called as brothers and sisters in Christ to admonish each other, but to encourage each other, to restore. Not to kick out, but to restore in a spirit of gentleness. And so within that encouragement that Paul gives in Galatians, number one, it means that we ought to be looking out for each other. How do we do that if we're not engaged in a deep and meaningful way in each other's lives? where we know the, the issues that we're dealing with. We know the, the, the troubles that we're facing. We know the, the trials and the tribulations. And, and we know we're, we're, we're predisposed to certain things. I struggle with certain sins that maybe you don't struggle with. And, and we can encourage and know one another in those things. But you got to know each other. And so we come alongside and we say, hey, let's, let's gather together so that we can encourage and equip and spur on to love and good deeds. And so we admonish. But we're looking out for each other. We're looking out for each other's needs. We're looking out for each other's weak spots. We got each other's back in this. Secondly, 
That goal, that, that thing that Paul's reminding us of is that we're not there just to try to find the trouble and kick people out, right? What does that look like to restore? Well, if you have to restore something, that means it may have fallen. So maybe it is somebody who's fallen from a place of leadership that, hey, they're no longer qualified to be in that position right now. They need to take a step back. They need to deal with something in their life. Let's restore them. We're to do so with gentleness. I'm going to be honest with you. Online is the worst place to try to restore people. It's the worst. High school? Brutal. We have a, a high school student at the Sugar Grove campus is going through some pretty challenging times, and you know what? School's the worst place to be. It's sad. We like to judge and kick each other. Where's the gentleness and the compassion and the, the grace and the mercy that's been shown to us by our Savior? Can we not show that to a brother and sister? And extend that? That's what we do in being members. Say, hey, I know, you and I, we're both doing the very best we can to honor the Lord. And I know I'm going to trip up, and when I do, I sure hope that someone's there to help me back up again. So I want to be that person to you. I want to, I want to help carry you across the finish line if I have to. That's what we do as believers. And then the wonderful thing that oftentimes gets overlooked in that Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says it's those who are spiritual should engage in that process. There, there is a level of, of walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, that's involved in this restoration. It doesn't mean that we all do that perfectly all the time. But as members of Village Bible Church, we commit to doing our best. We commit to submitting to the Spirit. We commit to submitting to the Word of God. We commit to submitting to each other so that we would live lives marked by that as a, as a pattern of our living. As members of Village Bible Church, we say that we are made new, that you're not a member of Village Bible Church if you're not a believer. So say we're in Christ. We're in this together. And for that reason, I want your very best, and I hope that you want my very best as well. Recognizing that we need each other. Recognizing, guys, that being part of this church, heck, I don't even care, not even this church, being part of the church is not a check-it-off-the-list kind of engagement on a weekend. It's a call to a different kind of life, a deeper level of engaging with other people, a commitment, a covenant. <clears throat> to which we come alongside. The next thing is, in membership, we commit to assisting one another with struggles in life. So hard times are going to come and go. When we studied the book of Ecclesiastes, for crying out loud, we heard that from so many people. It's like, this is just doom and gloom. Like, life sucks. This is hard. And, you know, like, life's hard sometimes. It is. But as the body of Christ, we're committed to being there for each other in the hard times. Say, hey, I, we want to bring meals while you're going through this. Can we help take anything off your plate? Can we encourage? Can we, can we be there? Can we be a shoulder to cry on? And we were talking about this with a youth group a couple years ago, and I remember having kids come up, and we brought some strings out. And I said, all right, I need some volunteers. And I brought two kids up, and, and I, was, I gave each one of them an end of the string. And I said, all right, what I want you to do now is, is pull as hard as you can on the string. And what happens? The string snaps, Right? And they feel like they're strong and mighty. And it's like, well, here, here's the reality of the trials and troubles of life. The struggles that we face is kind of like that tension that gets put on the string. With enough tension, we may snap. But if you take three, you take five strings and you weave them together, so now pull on it. And these kids were like leaned all the way back and the string wouldn't break. That's, that's what being part of the body is. It's the, the support and the people around you. The cord of three that's not easily broken. To come along and say, we're going to endure this with you. Romans chapter 12, verse 15, we're told that as believers in the church, we ought to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Because we're not just here for the good times. 
We love the good times. We love to celebrate. We love to have a good party and say, look at, look at the wonderful thing that's going on. Let's celebrate the, the birth of our children. Let's celebrate baptisms as we did this summer. Let's, let's celebrate all these wonderful things because they're worthy of celebrating, but we're also committed to be there in the hard times. It's probably the same kind of commitment you made to your spouse in sickness and in health, for richer, for poorer. I'm here. That's us as the church. And the good times will rejoice with you. And the hard times will grieve with you. But we're one. We're a body. We're a team. The next one I'd like to highlight is just that uh, in membership we advance one another's sanctification. Now I'm not saying that we just, we're responsible for that. God's the one who causes the growth. But in uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15 Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love, what? We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. By us being engaged in this, we spur each other on to grow up. We speak the truth. Sometimes that's a really great encouraging word. Sometimes that may be a hard word. But through the body gathered together, we grow up into maturity. So when we start talking about small groups, we're not just doing small groups to add another thing to a night of your week. We say small groups are so important because it's in a small group setting that you get to know people on a deeper level. We open this thing up, believe it or not, and we read it together. And we talk about it together. We study, we pray together, we fellowship together, we... We know what's going on in each other's lives, so we, we carry out these things. It's in a small group setting that we get to fulfill the, the commitment memberships, the membership commitments, if I could speak. That's why it's important. Not just to do it, but to what happens through it. That we as the body are called to reprove, rebuke, and exhort one another. Do you know that in the New Testament there are 59 different one another commands? 59 of them. If you're a member, you should know that because you've committed to fulfill them. That's what we do, 59 of them. I mean, what does that tell us? That tells us that how we go about living out our life, we can't do it apart from engagement with the body. How are you supposed to love one another without being together? How are you supposed to be devoted to one another? How are you supposed to care for one another? How are you supposed to forgive one another? How are you supposed to live in harmony with one another? How are we supposed to do all these? How are we supposed to admonish? How are we supposed to consider others as better than ourselves? How are we supposed to teach one another? How are we supposed to encourage one another? How are we supposed to offer hospitality to one another? How do we do all of these one another things unless we have a deeper engagement in the life and the body of the church? You just can't do it on your own. So being part of the church, we like to say is, I was here. Being part of the church is so much more than that. So in verse 16 of Ephesians 4, as we grow up into the maturity of him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We need you. The church needs you. You need the church. We each have a role. We each have a gifting. And we're called to put those things into practice. Whatever that may look like. Because when we do that, the scriptures say we are stronger together. We are healthier together. We benefit from one another together. So at Village Bible Church, being a member, part of being a member, we commit to aiding each other in service. To engage in the life of the body in such a way. To find a place where we can serve. And we do so selflessly, not just under compulsion, but say, I I want to contribute. I want to, to do my part. I want to encourage. I want to do these things. I want to engage in this life. 
One of the great ways of looking at our mindset when we come to gather as the body of Christ is to come with this. I am here to give more than get. I'm here to give more than get. How many of you came to church this morning with that mindset? You thought in the car on the way over here, what am I going to bring to the table today? Well, I guess some of you literally brought stuff to the table today. What, what am I giving today? What is my presence going to give to my brothers and sisters? How am I going to serve? How can I be a blessing to somebody today? We oftentimes think, what, I wonder what I'm going to get out of the sermon this morning. I'm so looking forward to that time of worship as we sing songs of praise and, and acknowledge our God together. We open God's word. I'm looking forward to the time when we fellowship together because it just fills me up. We think that way very naturally because we live in a culture that wires us to be consumers. What am I going to get from this? Start asking the question each week before we gather as a body. What am I going to give? And I just wonder if that would totally transform. Like, what would that do to the culture of our church? If each of us came with that mindset, I'm here to give more than get. What can I give? How has God positioned me? How has God gifted me? With where I'm at in life right now to be a blessing to my brothers and to my sisters in Christ. Now, I recognize that we can talk through all of that and someone could pose the question and say, well, can't, can't we do that without being a member of the church? Yeah. Signing your name on a board on the wall doesn't make all those things happen. But I will say this. Being a member of the church is simply committing to do those things. So why not? I know I need the accountability. I know I need the support. I need you guys alongside me. So why not? What's the harm that could be done? What's the good that can be done? Simply, we're calling each other to live out these things. To live out what the New Testament has called us to. To be the church. To follow God's design for what this whole thing is supposed to look like. How do we engage with one another? How do we serve with one another? How do we bless one another? For those of you who are a member of the church, what a reminder that being a member isn't for the faint of heart. It's hard sometimes. You've committed yourself to things that, that are difficult to fulfill, that take determination, that take making some things a priority. But we trust that it's all for our good. The same way that those players that showed up at the game worked hard in the training room, worked hard on the practice field, worked hard in the film room to examine things knowing that it's going to be for the good of the team. Because none of us want to be like the coach who goes out there by himself and gets pounded by 11 guys that just, we didn't even stand a chance. We live alongside of each other. We win as a team, we lose as a team. That's what I learned in fifth grade. We rejoice with those who rejoice. We mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes it's good to just remember what we've committed to and the value that those things bring to our life and to the life of the church. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you deeply for the church. God, I, I'm thankful for the fact that you have brought us together to to be there for one another. To encourage one another, to equip one another, to, to care for one another. Lord, I thank you that you didn't leave us high and dry. 
I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for uh, the work, the hard labor that goes into uh, the ministry of this place. The, the blood, sweat, and tears at times that make uh, what this church is and what this church is doing a possible thing. And we thank you, God, that you work through those things. Father, thank you for the commitments that the, the members of our church have made to one another, to you. Father, I pray that you would, uh, you'd continue to work in each of our lives. That we would continue to spur each other on, remind each other of the things that are important. That we'd support each other, that we'd restore each other. Father, may you instill in us a desire to ask that question, what can we give rather than just get? How can we bless? How can we use the gifts that you've given us as good stewards of those things to bless the body, to honor you? Father, may we be faithful in all of those things. Father, we thank you for the blood of your Son that unites us. That even in a small church like this, God, we are not just a bunch of people that are into the same hobbies. We live in different communities. We work different jobs. We do all kinds of different things. We're different people, and yet, God, you have brought us together in the blood of your Son. Each of us redeemed. Each of us washed clean by his blood shed on the cross. And so we thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice. Father, we thank you for the resurrection. We thank you, God, that he rose from the dead, victorious, never to die again, and the great hope and confidence that we now have in our salvation because of that very truth. Father, the great hope and that we have in our, the victory that we face on a daily basis, dying to sin and living to righteousness because Christ is risen. The hope that calls us to look past the circumstances of life and, and, Father, to look to you above all things as citizens of heaven. May we encourage and spur each other on in that, reminding each other that, that as we gather, we, are not, we don't simply belong to this world, but we belong to a heavenly city. Our hope is there. Our, our, our longing is there. So may our hearts continually be focused on you. And may we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in our communities, in our workplaces, in our families, and in our friendships. Father, to you be the glory for all things. It's in Christ's name we pray. And everyone said amen. This morning we have an opportunity before we uh, share in our family forum, we make it a, a point to come together uh, once a month as a body. And we're, while we're going to share a meal, meal in a little bit, uh, we come together to partake in the Lord's Supper. And one of the, the beautiful things about the ordinances that God has given us is their, their deep symbolism. So when we talk about this, this summer and the, the whole Townsley clan kind of getting baptized and, and the, the blessing that that was to the church to see people make a profession of faith through the waters of baptism, we, in that there's kind of that symbolism of entrance into the body, right? With uh, baptism kind of representing that being clean, being buried with Christ and being risen again to a newness of life. And just that mark, that it's a one-time thing. We're, we're baptized, we have one baptism. But then the other ordinance that we've been given is to come together around the, the Lord's table where we are reminded of the sacrifice that unifies us. That each time we do this, the scriptures say, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. That, that we remember that sacrifice. And, and as we come around the Lord's table together, I want to encourage us to think and, and even look around the room for a minute because I think it's healthy to do that. Say that we are the body. We are together in the, in the shed blood of Christ. And so as we do communion, this is something that we do in an ongoing way, kind of with a, a symbolism of our continuation in the body of Christ. And so we thought it'd be cool uh, today as we talk about membership and our, our committed relationship to one another as the church to come alongside and say, as we do this, let it be a reminder of our unity. As Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to the church in Corinth, he addresses communion. And he says that as they were gathering, there were all kinds of issues that were taking place. People were coming, they were feasting on communion while some people went hungry. They weren't waiting for other people. They were rushing into it, rushing through it. He said, all of it, you're missing the unity component of what this is. So this morning, we're going to, uh, the guys come up here in a minute, we're going to pass the elements out. And, and I want this to be a reminder of us, to us, of our unity 
Your unity, my unity, our unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, that each of us comes to the Father, but by one way, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. So while we're different, while we all work different jobs and have different careers and live in different areas of the community, have different lives, different hobbies, different interests, all of these differences, there is a one unifying thing, and that's the blood of Christ. And it was kind of striking to me in the past week thinking about the significance of family, right? How family means so much. We often say that, you know, you're always going to be family. Friends may come and go, but family sticks around forever because you're your blood. And there is a family that sticks closer than even just our blood families. It's the family that's in the blood of Christ because we will be together for all of eternity, all of eternity because of him. And so we come together to remember the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. The shed blood of our Savior on the cross that shed for your sin, that was shed for my sin. The death that he died in our place, but we also remember his resurrection that he rose from the dead and there's victory. And so we're told uh, that as we do this, we continue to proclaim the Lord's coming. That he's not in a tomb somewhere. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we eagerly await his return. We long for that time to be reunited with him in glory. And so there's a remembrance and there's an anticipation I encourage you as well that as the guys, uh, you guys can come forward, are uh, distributing the elements uh, this morning to examine uh, your own heart, right? We're, we're called to examine ourselves as we come to the Lord's table, that uh, we wouldn't do so in an unworthy manner. And so I, I simply encourage you uh, to examine your heart before God and say, God, is there, any, is there any wicked way in me? Is there any unrepentant sin? Is there anything I need to bring before you? I would also encourage you to examine your unity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are you living in disunity? Is that fellowship broken right now with someone that you need to go and seek restoration with? Maybe it's somebody that you've sinned against and you need to go and own that and confess that and and to make right with them. Maybe it's someone who's sinned against you and you're harboring resentment against them and it's an opportunity to say, hey, I want to go to you and, and, and... forgive you and seek that restoration because I know that I've wronged my God. I've sinned against my God and he has restored me and he has been gracious to me and he has forgiven me. And so to take those opportun- this opportunity just now in the quietness of your heart without the distractions of, you know, for those of us with little kids, without distractions of kids tugging on you and uh, schedules that you got to get to, but just a, a quiet moment between you and God to examine your heart as we come together as one body in in the shed blood of Christ.